This is a WKYT podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Victor and Andrea Texting. What? How are you going to call me out like that? That's the beautiful thing about a podcast is you can <laughs> multitask unless your partner calls you out. That's, that's what I'm good at. Andrea, <laughs> uh, this last uh, weekend, we had a game night. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, some friends got together. The, we, we handed off the little one to um, a grandparent, and so we were able to be out without a child. And we played a rousing rendition of Code Names, in which I sunk us. No. I let us down. No. And then you were... Um, the team the, captain or and, whatever. And I was picking up your vibe. I know. But everybody else let us down. But Kelsey I think I redeemed Noah. myself, because Victor and I... You did. My first... If you all don't know, Code Names is a game where there's a grid of words and one person is giving clues to try to get the other team to guess. So much fun. If you haven't played it, it is so much fun and it just twists it your will brain burn, in so many make different your ways. Brain melt a little. But it's so much fun. But, but the really, first time we played. Oh, I was so bad. I didn't understand the rules. That that was a hindrance. Yes. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> that's a big thing about being good at a game. And of course, like, what did I immediately want to be the, the oh, clue yeah. giver? Like, I got which it, is, guys. Yeah, like oh, I didn't know what I was doing. But this time obviously I you did much yourself. better. Yeah, no, you were much better. And I was very solid. competitive. But Which I knew you and I were on the same page, but our other we team were. members. And we were, my wife was on an opposing team, and we are pretty competitive. We're not oh. one of those couples who like, you yes. know, pussyfoot around each other and be like, oh, I don't want to. If we're playing against each other, oh, it's, there's she blood in the water. Intense. <laughs> she, she was, was intense. She was intense, and I appreciated it because I get like that too, so it made me feel less. But that was good. We played that and some Jenga and some celebrity. Yeah, it was really fun. It was yeah, a good night. It was a good time. So, uh, our podcast today is part one of two. Our first two-parter. That's right. Seemed appropriate when you get a guest as magnificent as Sam Dick to, to let him talk as long as he wants. Actually, we forced him to talk this long, but that was... <laughs> yeah, it was really... He's so nice. Yeah. And I remember when we started the second part, he was like, I didn't even know we were doing two parts. <laughs> but he was like, I guess I'm here. Yeah, it's like, well, Sam, you've earned it. Yeah. Well, also, because in, in the first part that you will hear today... Uh, we get into his background segment. and we also get into a really cool project that he has been working on for months. I mean, night and day, it seems yeah. like. He, he's been living at the station working on this. And it was funny. We kind of pitched the idea of doing a podcast with him. We're like, you know, we just want to talk about some of the things you're most proud of. And he's like, well, what I'm doing right now I, is one That of might be it, yeah. So it's kind of like a career that's stretched this long, and he still and he's gets still excited. Going. I mean, that, that's the thing. He's, yeah. You you see you know people work for decades in an industry sometimes they start to start to wind down sometimes yeah, you they'll call get senioritis. it in a little bit yeah. that's not Sam no. he's still going I mean he 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 brings ideas he's yeah I mean he's you know contributes more than a lot of us certainly more than me I mean he's, and you just you just it's it's impressive to see his dedication to something it is and especially a project this big and to pull it off and so you'll you'll hear him talk about that I'm looking forward to it if you are. Listening to this um, before Saturday, you'll have a chance to watch it on WKYT. Mm-hmm. So let's get into it. Let's learn more about Sam and more about this special. Hello, everyone. We are joined by the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> a lot of times I'll say this kind of stuff, and I'm joking, but today I, you know, I actually kind of mean it. I'm here with Sam Dick. I'm definitely not a legend. I don't know. I feel like <laughs> when people say WKYT, you're one of the first names oh, that come to mind. No well, doubt about it. That's sweet. 
That's well, it's true, but it's true. Well, and you deserve that credit, no doubt about it. Yeah, well, so, I was basically born here in the building, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah. So how did you end up in news? I know your father was in the industry. My dad was a CBS correspondent. So in the 1960s and 70s, it was commonplace in our household to turn on the Walter Cronkite, and there would be my dad. And he was first based in Washington, D.C., and then later in the early 70s, we got transferred to Atlanta. And I think part of the neat story about him that I'm so proud of is that he grew up without a dad. Uh, my namesake, Samuel, uh, his father died when he was a baby. So he didn't know his dad, and I never knew my namesake. Uh, and he grew up under rather, I would say, somewhat poor circumstances in Bourbon County uh, and got shifted off to other homes where people took care of him. That's just the way it was because his mom had two daughters, uh, two sisters. And... Um, so I, I was always very impressed that he went from Bourbon County in those circumstances to being a CBS correspondent, which is pretty cool. That so, is pretty cool. So to say he left huge uh, shoes for me to fill, I don't even compare myself to him because of what he did. You know, he won a national Emmy with the attempted assassination of George Wallace. He was uh, covered Jonestown, the massacre, all those people that commit suicide. So he's been shot. He was shot at in wars. I mean, he, that kind of thing is way beyond what I've done for sure. Well, I'm sure, you know, you could have gone one of two ways. Either you want to be just like your dad or you mm -hmm. got to get totally away from it. And you kind of decided to follow in his yeah. footsteps. Yeah. Was it easier for you, you think, or harder? I mean, you knew the idea of the business, but then you also know the other side of it as well, you know, the good and the bad. I did when I was going to college. I went to the University of Georgia only because we lived in Atlanta at the time. And he was a UK grad and I was, I've been a UK fan since I was a little boy. But I decided early on, I remember this, I decided I did not want to do the travel that he did that was so intensive, especially for the presidential campaign, where you're away from your family for weeks on end, and you're in airports and hotels and restaurants, which, as you all know, is not the most glamorous lifestyle. I mean, some people think it's really, oh, wow, that's cool. Living but, out of a bag. Yeah. So I decided early on that going national may not really be what I wanted to do. But uh, my first kind of um, break, let's say, when I was 21 is I got an internship at the CBS station in Miami, Florida. And as soon as I stepped in that newsroom that summer, I liked the smell of it. I liked the people. I liked the energy. And I really liked the storytelling, which I think, you know, I never thought about being a news anchor. It was all about really being a storyteller. And so from that internship, which I didn't get paid for, I didn't get credit for, my parents helped me, but I was in a garage apartment in Miami Beach. Not such a bad deal. Uh, <laughs> Who needs a house when you got a beach? Yeah. <laughs> I, I literally went into work every single day. I didn't know anybody, so I thought, what the heck? And I loved it so much. And so just driving the news van for the first time, I don't know if you all had that experience way oh, back yeah. when. And you're, you're kind of... I still remember my first time driving. You're like, oh, is everyone looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> you realize most people don't care that much, but you still get some looks. But you can imagine a 21-year-old in Miami driving a news van. I thought I was pretty cool. You know, I was, and so from there, I started to learn a little about, about editing and about shooting and about a little bit of producing and reporting. And then they actually aired a few of my stories, which was pretty phenomenal. While you were an intern? In, while I was in Miami, yeah. Wow. And they wrote this letter saying we think that you're on to great things. And from there, that led to a part-time job and then a full-time job and so forth. But 
I, I think I got hooked with the visual part of it. That is what really intrigued me because I did try newspaper a little bit while I was in school, and I did try. I went on the radio, you know, the, the college station that nobody listened to, Alternative Rock. <laughs> but I got to use this thing I'm sitting in front of now, a microphone, live for the first time. It didn't matter that no one was probably listening. Um, but from newspaper to radio, the TV, when I hit TV, you know, you've got a camera sitting here in front of us, Victor and Andrea. That's what really intrigued me was the picture part of it mm -hmm. and the storytelling. Yeah. So what, uh, what precipitated the move to Lexington? I mean, I guess, I guess, was it for you that wasn't a move back to Lexington? Had you lived in Kentucky before? I was born in Lexington, but okay. when I was three, and I don't remember Lexington at all, but when I was three, my parents moved to, to Louisville, and that's where he got his first job at WHS-TV. And so he got a job with HAS uh, writing and then eventually even doing some morning anchoring and, and definitely a lot of reporting. So my first memories are from Louisville when I was four, five, six years old. And then in fifth grade, we moved to Washington, D.C., and that was his big break. His boss, his news director boss in Louisville, Bill Small, uh, was moved to CBS News, and then he eventually took my dad with him. And that bureau, by the way, was a who's who. And I'm going back, and you're probably, you may not remember all these names, but it was Leslie Stahl, Ed Bradley, uh, Marvin Kalb, Bernard Kalb, Dan Rather, Bob Schieffer, and David Dick. And wow, for a guy from Bourbon County. It's a list. He, he, he was in with the big guys. That was, oh that was just the bureau back there. That was the Watergate days uh, leading up to it. And then he got transferred to Atlanta because I guess they thought, well, let's take the Kentucky boy, let's take the Southerner, <laughs> and let's put him in Atlanta. And then he ended up following George Wallace for three presidential campaigns. So he was the um, CBS correspondent assigned to Wallace in 68, 72, and uh, 76. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, we lived in Atlanta. So. so then, so you lived in Atlanta. What brought you... It was work? Is that what brought you to Lexington? Yes. I, so I, I got a job. Uh, after my internship, I got a part-time job editing tape on weekends at WSB in Atlanta, which was pretty cool. So I would go to school at Georgia during the week, then drive the hour and a half back home to Dunwoody, Georgia, the suburbs, and I'd work on Saturday and Sunday getting paid for the first time editing tape, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> but I also knew I did not want to stay in that edit booth for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. yeah. I made that decision. I thought, okay, this is great. And I edit, I edit like you all do to this day. It's really a great skill to have on a craft, and I really appreciate it. But I don't want to do that full time. And so I made that decision. So that led, that was a union shop. They had a part-time reporter job that opened up, and I had a tape from Miami that I was able to show the news director. And so they hired me part-time. So here I was, 22, still in college, reporting on the weekends in Atlanta, Georgia, which was pretty, oh pretty big first darn awesome. But I wasn't good enough to stay. That was, that was way over my head, really. And so I had a resume tape from all those stories I did in Atlanta, and I sent them to Ken Kurtz here. My dad had new Ken, and uh, I got hired here at the age of 23 as a no experience basically other than what I'd done reporter here in 1979 a month later they hired Barbara Bailey oh she stayed gosh. I left but yeah but but so that was this was my first full-time job as a reporter I was here for three years but I didn't stay long in news they said hey we want you to think about auditioning for this new show called PM magazine it was an entertainment show that was done around the country with local hosts and I remember Ralph Gabbard saying this is probably not going to do anything for your news career but 
And these were five and six and seven minute long stories about adventure, whitewater kayaking, spelunking. I went up in an experimental airplane, you name it. We did had so much fun. And so I did that for three years. But from that, this is going to sound bizarre. I went from that at the age of 25, 26 to a job offer at WCBS in New York. Number one TV market. And once again, I walk in the newsroom and I'm way, way underqualified to be there. And I lasted a year and a half, and I reported nightside at WCBS, and then one day the news director called me in his office and he said, we're not going to renew your contract. Mm. I was basically being fired. I was going to mm-hmm. say something, yeah. That's... And he used the, you never forget that moment. It felt like someone just sucker punched me. I mean, just hit me right in the stomach because I didn't see it coming. That makes me want to throw up. Like, I mean, I can just imagine that moment. Yeah, yeah. And so I'll never forget, he said, I, we don't think that you have the timber to be here, meaning the experience. The timber. It's not like I'd made a mistake or I was maybe really bad, but I didn't have the experience. And that hurts worse. So you that's, know what I mean? It's and like, at the same time, my dad works for CBS, so that's a little embarrassing. Right? Your sure. dad works for CBS, and, 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 of course, I'm only like 25, 26 years old. And you really think to yourself if, if people are talking like, oh, I guess he, I wonder if he just got the job because of his dad. Like that yeah, kind of stuff. yeah. But I was on like my second or third news director in a year and a half, yeah. maybe a couple of general managers. At that level, same, things change really fast. I'm not using that as an excuse. But when you get the new management, they want to make changes. Yeah. yeah. So I asked him, and I think this is sort of some good advice for people out there thinking about getting into broadcasting or, or really any job. I said, can I keep working here? So I didn't leave. And the advantage to that is I could keep working keep building my resume tape for my next job and I always tell people it's easier to get a job when you have a job mm-hmm. and tell somebody well I'm working at WCBS but I'd like to come here whether versus well I don't work in the business anymore I'm out, of the business, I'm out of the business and I haven't been in it for two or three months now which sounds better that was so smart so uh, my wife at the time uh, Val uh, moved to Florida with her parents and I slept on the couch of a reporter reporter had an apartment in Queens because we there was no reason to keep the apartment because yeah. we knew I was leaving, so I slept on his couch. His girlfriend put up with me. And, yeah, <laughs> and I and I uh, and so I worked three or four more months, and everybody in the newsroom knew mm. that I was. You were just a dead man walking. I, yeah, and so that's kind of tough. That's rough. Yeah. But you suck it up because you got to survive. And the good news, and I think good things happen from these kind of things, and you learn is within three or four months after sending out lots of tapes, Orlando, Florida, which was a top 30 market at the time, I think it's bigger now, NBC called and said, hey, we're interested in you. And so I went down there, I talked to them, and I got the job. And the job was a specialty reporter where I do some investigative, some consumer, and some medical reporting. And so that's what I did for three years, and actually almost really made a pay raise, because even though I got paid less than what I was making in New York, in Florida, they don't have a state income tax. Mm-hmm. And I also didn't have an agent anymore. I had an agent in New York, in New York, in Orlando, I didn't need one. <laughs> I didn't need an agent to yeah. take part of my paycheck. So it really worked out well. And then from that job, I was there for three years. One day the phone rang in 1987, and it was Ralph Gabbard, the general manager here, who had been here when I was a reporter here. And he said, Sam, John Lingren, our, our great anchor, our, our main guy, is leaving. Are you interested? And I said, yes. Aww. I've never anchored before. Think about that. I was 31. I'd never anchored before. And so I came up here, and, of course, I wanted the job. And I've been here ever since. That is so I guess so that worked out. So cool. three or four general managers later and two or three news directors later, 
It's been now, it'll be 32 years anchoring on the late shift. So that's, I mean, nothing was handed to you. I'm sure people have assumed, like you said, maybe because of who your dad is, that things were yeah. handed to you. You've been through it in this I, business. Yeah, I, I think I did get a break in Miami because he knew the news director down there because with, the Atlanta Bureau covered the entire Southeast, and so they knew who David Dick was, and I'm sure he put in a good word for me. So that helped a little bit. I also think... Getting the job here with Ken Kurtz, I think Ken knew of my dad. Mm-hmm. But still, you're not, you're not going to keep the job no. unless you're doing the job. Well, you, you know how about, this business is. I mean, You think about what happened in New York. There are people who would have just said, well, I guess this just isn't for me. Oh, yeah, they would have quit. And you know, especially going back into an office where people know that you're, you know, you're on the way out. And you yeah. just have to, to deal with that, knowing that as long as you're able to put up with it, it's going to lead to something better yeah. because you're able to keep it. And people weren't mean about it. They were, very, yeah. so they were supportive. I'm sure they were fine, I mean, but at the same time, there's just yeah. yeah, yeah. How did you bounce back from that? How did you deal with that? From from getting let go? Yeah. Just, uh, it was, I was in survival mode. I had a wife. Uh, we didn't have a place to live. Uh, I knew I needed to make a job. My dad and mom were not the kind of people that gave me money. Uh, I didn't have a basement to go live in in their house. I mean, it was just survival. And also, uh, Victory, I think what you touched on there is I just had a real feeling in my gut that this is what I want to do in my life, which is tell stories and be a reporter and to do it in broadcasting. And so, yeah, okay, I'm not good enough to be in New York, but maybe I'm good enough to be in, you know, a medium-sized market. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So what was the learning curve for anchoring? Like you said, you never anchored. Where did you go to? What ship? The evenings? You went straight to I went straight to, straight evenings. to evenings with Barbara Bailey. Brad James, who was an institution here in weather, yep. and Rob Bromley on oh sports. Oh my goodness! In 1979, the dream team, right there, I would, right? <laughs> yeah, but I was—I'll tell you—I was replacing a guy who stood six foot seven, six foot eight, who was real big at te- uh, at uh, talking at churches. Mm-hmm. Very, uh, I was a Christian man. Really was important to him, John Ling- Lingren. So he was kind of an institution, but he'd only been here about seven or eight years. And, um, and I remember telling Ralph, I said, you know, Ralph, I'm not really a funny guy. I'm not like Mr. Personality all the time. I'm just me. And he said, okay, it's all right. I mean, you know, you got to be who you are to a certain extent, as you know. I mean, you just can't all of a sudden become somebody else on the air because viewers will see through it. Oh, yeah. So to answer your question, Andrea, I just kept plugging away at it. I kept trying to learn. I kept trying to be more comfortable. Um, it, it was a big change, anchoring versus reporting, as you both know. How was Barbara? Did she, did she coach she you was, along? She was good. She was good to me. And, and Brad was good, and so was Rob. And, and they were very welcoming. Um, and when I say 31, that sounds so young now It is to young. Me, that is young. I'm thinking, to be the main, one of the main anchors. But I knew that I was not the only person. And I've always, in this my job and my role here, have always felt like no matter who I was sitting next to, they deserved as much equal time, praise, whatever that, that I have, no matter what my experience is. So I think we got along really well, which was important. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of humility. Have you been on that shift the entire time? Yes. I've wow. been on the everyone shift. everyone else has shifted around. There are other people that have gone. And back in that day, they ran old uh, Andy Griffith and Mayberry from four to five. I don't know if you all remember that, in black and white, which was really popular. It's my dad's favorite show. Yeah, it was really <laughs> big. I think it was four to five. We, I think we just had a 5.30 and a 6 and the 11 as far as early evening. There was no 4, 4.30. There was no certainly no 6.30. Um, there may not have even been a 5. So did you even have a noon at that point? 
We had at noon, but it was only for a half an hour. And the mornings certainly were not as long as what you do, too. And there was no 10 o'clock. <laughs> so there was a time the consultant said that eventually local news would be diminished and there wouldn't, and it just went the opposite way. Yeah. Oh, would, yeah. Yeah. We're on constantly. So I've really gotten used to this shift. I, you know, I have to be in here on a normal day around 2-ish and out of here by quarter to midnight. And so I generally don't get, get up until between 8 and 9. Sometimes I catch you and Andrea and, and Bill on the, the morning news. If I'm up at 6 or something, I tune you guys in for sure. But uh, generally get up around 8-ish or 9-ish. But it changes your world because I get so much done before I come in. Those are my hours mm-hmm. versus your all's maybe at night or, or whatever, oh. depending on the day. Or You're a better man than me. When I was on evenings, I slept all day. Yeah. I would because I couldn't come down. Like it's hard to come down it right is. after the show. I feel like I was so mm-hmm. wired then that you I had stay to. Up late, yes, and then, and then sleep I'd sleep in. in. And you know what you want to do at midnight? At least I did. You want to eat. eat. You just yes. want to sit here, da da da, yes. just just on and on. <laughs> and so right now, for the past month or so, I've lost about ten pounds because I've been doing this intermittent fasting, so that I stop eating about eight at night, and I do not eat until probably noon the next day, and that has helped me sleep better it's helped me lose weight um so that was a that was a big problem for a while it's just that mm-hmm. wanting to build us that because you're still wired too. you're oh, still yeah. wired at oh, yeah. midnight you know let's just you just come off a live newscast so. yeah let's go back I, I hear people still talk about to this day the what was it pm magazine pm mm-hmm. magazine people it was a neat still show still talk about it i mean the way you describe it sounds like a dream job. What were what were some of your favorite stories from that? Oh man, I went uh, deep in the Mammoth Cave, where no one else had gone except for the professional spelunkers, and so the public was not invited there. And at one point, we were crawling pitch black on our hands and knees, moving the camera inch by inch, and you could not see a thing. Today, I couldn't do that because I get claustrophobic. Back then, we did it. So we went, we went through Mammoth Cave and a part of it that the public never gets to see. Um, I did a story on a woman coal miner, and we met up with her at midnight, and we went into the coal mine with her all night. She had to support her family because her husband was, was uh, sick. Um, golly, what else? I did stories with Kay Wood Ledford uh, back in the day when he was alive and he had these uh, uh, burrows or donkeys, or I'm forget what it was he had down there in Harlan. Um, Went flying with a guy who built an experimental airplane. I can't believe I went up in the air with him. <laughs> an experimental, uh, an experimental airplane. airplane. And then one of the neatest things I ever did, I but I should survived. never have had lunch, is I flew with the Blue Angels. And I unfortunately had so beef stroganoff for lunch. Oh, wow. And so we went, I went up, and I was in the seat behind the pilot. And I'm pretty sure their job that day was to get to any media you. member sick that yeah. they could. So we flew upside down. I was fine. And we flew sideways. I was fine. But then he went straight up. Oh, gosh. And I had five or six Gs, which means it felt like someone was taking my face and just pushing it Peeling back. Peeling it off. <laughs> and then when it looked like we were going to hit the sun, he literally went into a free fall. Oh, And I my went gosh. weightless in the cockpit. Mm. And before we hit the ground, of course, he pulled out. And that's when I grabbed the bag, the bag. and got <laughs> yeah, sick. Go. And beef stew is a hearty meal. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> beef stroganoff. <laughs> Andrea, there were chunks. Oh, I'm sure there were. Yeah. I'm sure there were. Uh, and you know the pilot's just in the front seat like, yes. <laughs> I know. I've done it. Well, he, after he pulled out of the free fall, he actually said, do you want to do some more? And I was like, oh, no, it's okay. Uh, please, I'm no, I'm, I'm begging you. I'm good. But now, that, that was a neat show because it was on every night, Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. I think it was, was it an hour or half hour? I can't remember. 
Um, but we ha- were able to send our stories nationally. So I had family members in other parts of the country, and I'd say, hey, my story's going to be on in San Francisco. And they'd watch it, and they thought that was cool. Uh, so it was an honor to have your story done nationally. The stories were longer. We could use music. You know, they were five and six minutes long. Um, and the neat thing is, you know what, we never saw the ratings, but I understand it was really uh, one of the more popular shows they did at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just really well done. Was it, it was like done Sunday up in, morning? A little bit like Sunday morning. So mm-hmm. my, my co-host, uh, I was 23, and she was an older woman. She was 25. Oh, uh, older woman. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. I thought she was so much smarter and prettier than I was. Uh, Lydia was a national junior miss from Lawrenceburg and um, already had a couple years of TV experience. And I just, we got thrown together, and I guess we auditioned, but they, it clicked. And so we were, we were uh, uh, the hosts of the show. We, did, we had cooking segments. We had uh, fashion segments. We went all over this part of the state, central, southern, eastern Kentucky. I've been in a lot of different restrooms. And we did all kinds of uh, ins and outs is what we called them. So we went to local communities. And we tried to – It was they were mainly Kentucky stories. Yeah. yeah. So, so those were five- to six-minute stories. Mm-hmm. But you have a project coming up yeah. that is – on TV, it'll fill an hour, but about 45 minutes. <laughs> I mean, uh, so let's go ahead and get, get into that. What is the name of this? And uh, kind of tell me how this came about, because it's one of the cooler things that I think we've done here. I like, I like that you said that. I hope you say that after you see it. Um, <laughs> it's called Beyond the Bench, uh, On the Road with Kentucky Basketball. It's uh, this Saturday, March 9th at 7 p.m. So Kentucky will have played their final game of the regular season at 2 o'clock against Florida at Rupp, Senior Day. So this will be on a few, couple hours after that, a few hours after that. Um, I've, I've had some neat experiences with John Calipari, and one of the, the coolest things that I've ever done in broadcasting was to go with him to Port-au-Prince in Haiti. Mm-hmm. We flew by private plane because he had a telethon here at the station mm-hmm. called Hoops for Haiti, raised over a million dollars because an earthquake had just ripped up part of Haiti. And uh, Port-au-Prince is already a really impoverished, extremely poor, just really bad area. And, uh, and so they got hit again by the earthquake. So Cal wanted to see how the money was being spent by the Red Cross, and I got to tag along with a videographer. And it was only for a day. But probably one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me was we went to an orphanage. Uh, the orphanage had soldiers with guns because in that place, kids can be kidnapped. And uh, so they had guards, which, I, which struck me. And, of course, on the way there, you see where people are living in boxes and yeah, little huts. And it's really, really impoverished. We went to the orphanage, and the kids had no idea who Coach Cal was. But they knew they were going to get a brand-new pair of shoes, and they were so excited. And so Samaritan's Feet was a part of this. and had all these shoes. And so the deal was that each child— with Coach Calipari and eventually me and uh, a couple other people, washed their feet as a sign of respect and then fitted them with a new pair of shoes. And the kids were so excited. Which is something he does in eastern Kentucky every year. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was incredible to be a part of that and, and to see how that all happened. And so, so anyway, I, I, I had never really spent any time with him before. He was pretty new here. Uh, and uh, I think he started to trust me after he saw what we did with the story. And I've also been to Texas with him when he did another disaster relief program. So anyway, I, I felt like I have um, somewhat of a relationship with Coach Calipari as a journalist that he trusts me. Last August, I said, hey, why don't we do a story 
on a typical UK basketball practice. Put a wireless mic on Coach Cal because I understand he's really demonstrative and really hands-on in the practice. Very (laughs) animated. I think that most, you know, a lot of people lose track in our business and at UK that most fans don't get to see that kind of thing. Most people are not allowed in the Joe Craft Center to watch a typical practice. They have some visitors, but it's not a lot. Well, UK said, let's do it one better. They said, why don't you go on a road trip with Kentucky? And as soon as they said that, I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Because I started thinking about, as you all would, all the visual opportunities on the bus, mm-hmm. you know, on the plane. Normally see. Yeah. Yes. Well, that was in August. September went by. October went by. November went by. No word. December went by. January went by. And I thought, well, you know, he's got a new team, especially in the beginning of the year. They you know, had that horrible loss to Duke. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a hard time defending Transy. No offense to Transy, but it was a tough time. And so he's trying to get us. So I thought, you know, he's got more important things to do than mess around with Sam Dick on the road. Then January came, and they said, you know what? Let's get together. So we met, not with Coach Cal, but members of the UK basketball staff. And they said, how about Mississippi State? And I was ready for anything. Yeah. So that's where that was the deal. We would go with them to Mississippi State. Um, and we started on a Thursday when the equipment manager started packing things up. And I wanted to give people, my, my whole idea here, Victor and Andrea, was to give the average fan, let's say, okay, guys, we're going to pick a couple of fans to go on a trip with the U.K. Wildcats. This is your first-class ticket to go behind the scenes and see everything. What fan wouldn't want to do that? What fan wouldn't just drop everything and go, oh, yeah, I'm booked. Not only do I get to see the game, but I get to travel with the team. So that's the idea of the special is that we give you – um, behind-the-scenes look at some things that normally the camera's not allowed to see and talk to some people even like the equipment manager who normally don't are not on TV but have an important job role to play. Mm-hmm. And, and you, I guess you just see what a big production it is to move that team to carry it. To, to How many people do you think we went with? Oh, hundreds? I was going to say, is, is it, is it, do they have a traveling staff about 100? Is that? No, no, no. You guys are waiting. That's probably football. Okay. So this, was, this was 50. I am actually thinking This was 50. 50. Plus three. To, to think for a team of what, 11 guys? Mm-hmm. And a few wow. coaches. A few, but but then, you've got a video coordinator. You've got media relations people. You have two police officers for security. Never thought about that. You've got the doctor. You've got the trainer. You've got uh, two donors, UK fans, who get to go. And usually it's more than that, but there were just two from Mount Sterling, really sweet couple. Um, so there's all lots of layers of people that go, and um, and I learned a lot. I really learned a lot, and um, and we don't want to give everything away, but there were some really priceless moments in particular. Um, and, and one of the things that happened that we've already talked about on the air is that there was a plane malfunction. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to leave. They have the schedule. I mean, it's like, okay, we practice at noon on Friday, and at 3.45, we're taken off in a chartered plane. Well, the plane had mechanical issues, and so they couldn't take off in that plane. So they had to really hustle to get two small private planes to take just the players, and they left a couple players behind for the big plane, uh, take most of the team and the coaches there to get them there, and everybody else, the rest of us, had to wait. And they finally got a, we got a plane that was ready to go. So that kind of really messed up the schedule for Friday, but it turned out that it made our story even more interesting because they had to make some adjustments, and we were still able to capture a lot of the behind-the-scenes uh, in Starkville. But one of the more intimate moments um, is, and this is like going way deep into the system here, is that we got to go inside Coach Cal's hotel room Friday night, 
before their last film session and after dinner where he met just with the players and the coaches. No other camera, no other media, no other people. And it was kind of his last message to them before they went off to bed. Um, and so that's a really, you don't know what to expect, but to be allowed that far in to what they're doing is very intimate. Um, and so I feel very honored and humbled that we kind of were able to do some of those things. That's some access. So then how do you take, because I'd, I'd imagine you all have hours of footage coming out of that. I mean, yeah. You've been here. I rarely see Sam, <laughs> but I've seen a lot of Sam, because we're on such opposite so schedules, but he's been here a lot. that much material into 45 minutes? Is that about what you get, you know, with commercials? Yeah. So I really didn't know how I was going to do this, because this, this is not normal for me. You know, I'm either anchoring or if I'm putting together a story, sometimes it's two or three minutes three long. Minutes, yeah. I can. Oh, my goodness, three minutes. <laughs> I know. Uh, so I didn't really know. So I guess I just started to think in my head, okay, first of all, we have seven segments to fill. And then we decide, okay, what are we going to put in each segment? So I, videographer extraordinaire, award winner Barton Bill was One our photographer. Best. And then also Brian Milam, our sports director, went as a second camera, and he was a huge help. But Bart and I kind of just as we went along or near the end of the trip had everything kind of like maybe four or five bullet points for each segment that we thought we would take and we also decided that we would put a date and a time so as you watch the special on saturday for example it'll say thursday 10 a.m joe craft center follow along. you can follow along thursday 6 30 p.m in coach cal's office interview friday 11 30 meet the media friday at noon and so we do that all the way through so you can follow um, and then I just basically took it segment by segment. And, of course, as you know, with the verbatim and what we need to put on the script, I pretty much had to listen to, I had to, listen to every interview, of course, but I also had to listen to a lot of the other stuff for good and at sound. Um, so I just took it segment by segment. And that's why you've been seeing me in the morning, because really I have my other job. And I don't know about you two, but I hate being pushed to the wall where all of a sudden everything's on top of me and I realize I don't have enough time. I wanted to give this enough time to breathe, and so the only way I could do that is to work a lot of extra hours so that here we sit on Monday taping this, and I really feel fairly relaxed. That's I, I, I was that asking is you, not how I yeah, how much, you know, how much <laughs> you had left to do, and you said, on. oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm mostly done. You know, we're just kind of doing the finishing touches, and to me that just... Oh, because if this were me, I'd be Friday afternoon <laughs> trying to tinker oh, with it. Oh, me too. Me too. Which is probably why it's going to turn out so good, because Sam will have taken the time to, to get it You've never done all. anything to this scale, have you? No. I, I mean, I've been a part of specials of different kinds, whether it was with the, uh, the Final Fours I've covered or telethons, you name it. But I've never been the – in this case, really, I'm the producer along with Bart and Brian. We're the producers. We're the writers. And, and as you all know – I give the script to Bart, the editor, and he makes it better, yeah. you know. Oh, he's very, very gifted. I have a question. So you said, you know, you went months where this was talked mm -hmm. about. Did you lose faith? Did you just keep checking in, kind of like pestering, like, hey, I'm still here. I still want to do that thing, whatever you No, get. because I didn't have a relationship with those folks. Right. I knew Coach it's Cal, tough. but I'm not dealing with Coach Cal on this. He's mm -hmm. got bigger fish to fry. So one of the key people at UK that has been a huge help to us that I've grown to uh, have a professional relationship with is Eric Lindsay. He's one of their top people in terms of with Cal and UK basketball. But I didn't know him before. And then I finally met him in a meeting. I talked to him on the phone once or twice or had an email with him, but I finally met him in a meeting in January. And now I'm 
talking to him, you know, every couple of days mm-hmm. on this special. But so I didn't have a relationship. So I kind of just let it go. And, I, and Andrea, I thought, you know, maybe this won't happen, but I'm going to be patient. And then our general manager, Jeff Anderson, was huge because he is really the one at his level was able to get the attention of UK and say, we really want to do this. Yeah. And that was big. So That's sometimes really cool. you have to step back and kind of let other people run with the ball and just have faith. Now, Coach Cal, obviously the face of the program. Mm-hmm. Who were some of the people that impressed you oh, behind gosh. the scenes maybe that really help help it all keep moving? I know the assistant coaches are huge. They're I mean, they're huge. so involved. Yeah, and they're more involved than I realize. So this is really interesting. I won't get into it too much, but Coach Cal generally on the road does not eat breakfast with the team. And he does not do the film sessions with the team. Now, I would bet if I'd asked you those two, if those things were true for well, him, would've, you would have said, would've oh, been I, there, yes. yeah. But you know what? As he says in our show, they hear me enough. They see me enough. They need to hear from other people. So the other three main coaches, associate head coach Kenny Payne and assistant coach Tony Barbie and Joel Justice, really are hands-on with the film study and the strategy of what these guys are focused on. And let me, and I'm going to make this point. I think most people realize that UK basketball players are not normal students, but you will really see it in this hour because at 10 o'clock on Friday night, when most college students are thinking about what they're going to do on Friday night, mm-hmm. they're not even going out yet, these guys are in bed. They're, they're in their hotel rooms. They're in bed. At 6.30 in the morning on Saturday, they're up. And at 9 o'clock on Friday after dinner, I watched. They are zoomed in, focused, laser-focused on this film session. So it's, it's a whole other level of athletics and being a college student. It really is. You'll see that. So if somebody downloads this podcast on Wednesday when it comes out, Saturday they'll be able to watch? Seven o'clock, and I don't know if it's going to be replayed after that, or if it'll be available on, online. That was my question. Do you know? Yeah, if you I are? don't know for sure, but um, I'm hopeful that some way, somehow, that will happen because I, I know say, people. Oh, hopefully, set your DVRs. <laughs> yeah, it also sounds like the kind of thing. Yeah, people will want to watch um, multiple times if. I hope so. To, to I hope they don't turn that. it off halfway through. <laughs> There's but no way. But you know what? I, I, I really think that people are going to see a side. I'm not just saying this, but they're going to see a side of Coach Calipari they rarely get to see. He is extremely animated with his players. He's a storyteller, and especially with the food that he says that he won't let them eat for breakfast because he's afraid they'll lose. Uh, you talked about that on Buzz's podcast. And is, that, that was the first thing I was like, I have to know. What it is, is it? It's hilarious, and we let him tell the story. So I think people are going to really be amused to have, have some laughs and really be and inspired and, and also feel like that they've gotten to know the team and the coaches a lot better. I am looking forward to it. And this is going to bring the part one to a close, but we're going to make this our first two-part podcast. All right. Are you excited about that? Are you yes. the timekeeper? Yes, I am the timekeeper. <laughs> Somebody's got to be right He does just about everything. <laughs> yes. I, listen, if you're looking at this setup, I will then take it. I'll edit it. I wear one I'll hat. Off. And my, I ask Andrea to show up and, and, and be herself. And, and she's here. She's doing a good job yeah. with that. You're going to you know? teach me how to post it and everything, too. Well, so. I have to figure that out myself. We'll get it all out. Uh, you know, we're all putting on mini hats with this. Well, thank you for talking to me about Yeah, it. thank you for talking to us. And, yeah, you all tune in next week. We're going to get into more stuff. Some of the other fun things that Sam has covered. I really want to talk to you about uh, all the, the Final Four coverage and those mm-hmm. trips because those always look like a good time. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next week. So there we are, Andrea. What would you think of that? I loved it. I think Sam is just – Yeah, he's just a good talker. He is. And, and good people. 
He is. I mean, good people. That's that's a high praise from a country girl like me. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, he's good people. But and, he is. And we learned a lot, a lot about. I mean, just his background that he's I didn't realize. Resilient. Working in Miami and New York, I didn't know any of that. He got fired. He got fired. Sam <laughs> Dick got fired. Like what? That's crazy. Now he was so young. He was yeah. 25, working in a number one market. So I mean. Nah, uh, you're still doing all right. Yeah, but, I was going to say he was able to rebound. But that's the thing, to have the dedication to keep going afterwards. Exactly. And, and, you know, to make it work. There's, I honestly don't think I know very many people. You may think in your head, oh, I would have done the same thing. No, you wouldn't. I'll I don't think sleep on a, a friend's couch people, and no. keep working so I can get this tape together to keep going to follow this. And you got to suck up your pride, go yeah. in there when everybody knows yeah. that you didn't get renewed. I mean, I have, I already respected Sam, but I feel like I respect him even more. <laughs> I didn't know that was possible, but just just a great guy. And you're going to get to hear more about him gonna next say, week. I was going to say, so this this is part one. And next week, he, he goes into more, including a, a pretty amazing hike that he took. Oh, my gosh. As a, as a teen. You know, he was talking about it. It seemed like a terrible idea. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they always say, don't go hiking alone. But Sam is an Eagle Scout. He's an Eagle Scout. So and he did if anyone it. And can he, do it, it's him. He gets into some of the stories about the, the Final Fours, the, cha- the UK championships that he's covered, including... An interesting one in Atlanta that I remembered very well. Gabriel the Lightning. Rojas. Yes, with special with a guest appearance from Gabriel Rojas. He married a friend of mine from high school. Mira? That's right. Yeah. Mira Roxanne Baker. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I remember whenever they first started dating. And I was like, good for you, Gabe. Uh, so, yes, then uh, he will talk about a clip that you can see. You can actually, so if you search for it on YouTube, you can find that Oof. still. So it's a little a, R-rated guy. It's a little, little interesting. Uh, but, you know, Sam, always the professional, was able to just, just keep going. And that's kind of shows the dedication. They were like, look, let's get in this truck because there's some, some lightning and stuff. But, again, that's all next week. Uh, but I, I'm just glad that we got to talk to him so long. Me too. And get, in, get into it. Can Sam be my favorite thing this week? <laughs> because you didn't do the, the work to, to come in with a recommendation? I would never. Mm. What? I honestly was going to do code names because I love that game so much. Well, there you so go. Much. That can be your recommendation. I know, but we already talked about it. Well, it's, it's at Target, and they make different t- kinds of code names. They make Harry Potter code names. They make Disney code names. Okay, I could do Disney. Some people are so into Harry Potter. Like, my brother knows the most obscure details. He and his friends would dominate anyone, I think. I really do. There you go. Anyway, basic game, what do we play? Original? Yeah, we just played, <laughs> we just played original code names. The original names. game? They have code names. Pictures? Mm-hmm. Um, I think Target used to have code names after dark, which isn't explicitly dirty, but I think the stuff's more suggestive, so you can make it, you know. Uh, but the, the base game's fine. Just play that. It was really fun. So code names for you. My suggestion, Monday Night Raw, coming to <gasps> Rupp Arena. That's right! I'm very excited. Are you going to go? I mean, I'm definitely going to be there, but I think you should. Oh, well, it's, it's at night, so you might. You should take that Tuesday <laughs> off. You should take that Tuesday so, off. Roman Reigns is coming. is back now. He, uh, he's the one with the long dark hair. Yeah, he's in remission from leukemia. What? Yeah, he had in October. He announced. Apparently, he had it a long time ago. But he's, you know, he's on top of it. When, when you're an athlete, and I'm sure he's, he's, you know, living with that. I'm sure he's just on top of it and yeah. getting tested and, and make, doing everything that he needs to do. But yeah, he was able to come back and. That's awesome. Announce he's retired. Yeah, that's the thing. And it's funny because he's so popular that there was a large segment that just liked to boo him because they felt like he was being shoved down our throats. Mm-hmm. People just like, okay, I don't. Get this guy out of here. But um, it's one of those things you didn't realize much you had until he was gone. And so when he Aww. came back, everybody's just been cheering him. It's been real nice. Now, That's by the really time cool. by the time uh, Raw comes to Rupp Arena, that may be the, not be the case, and everybody may boom again. Now, but he's good. When are they coming? April 
20? Well, it was interesting. Just to give you a little background, obviously we do these ahead of time, so this will have already passed, but... uh, Yeah, tickets go on sale, well, last Friday now, if you're listening to it. Oh, no, this Friday. Yeah. Yeah, this this Friday. Friday. Yeah, we're... We're cutting it close this week. Uh, it's Monday. This comes out on Wednesday. But anyway, so uh, our web guy kind of called out to the newsroom, and he's like, what do you guys think is the number one story on WKYT.com? And Luke Perry passed away today, yeah. which was, I mean, very shocking. Obviously, a lot sad. of people. Big Dylan McKay fan. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's been in so many beloved projects, and uh, everybody was like, Luke Perry, Luke Perry. Nope. Monday Night Raw. It is. It is. It had him beat. April 29th. They will be there. I get to see Finn Balor. I'm so happy for you. I'm a big Finn Balor fan. I'm so happy for you. I honestly thought to myself earlier, I was like, this is going to be Victor's favorite thing. (laughs) I already knew immediately. And I I was just making sure that you heard about it because you weren't in the newsroom when it came out, I don't think. I was not, but I saw it on social media and I've already tweeted some about it. So there we go. Monday Night Raw. And, you know, if you're not in Lexington listening to this, because I saw the metrics. There are a few people listening who don't live around here. Oh. So that's nice. Uh, you know, you can watch it on USA Network, <laughs> April 29th. There you, <laughs> there you go. go. Maybe you'll see us in the crowd. Well, at least me. At um, least you. Maybe Andrew, too. Who knows? Maybe. I think I would enjoy it. I think you. it's it's very theatrical. As a pageant girl, I think you would really like it. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> all right, we'll figure it out. Well, everybody, thank you all so much for listening. And, uh, yeah, tune in next week. we got part two with Sam. Excited for everybody to hear that. Bye.